All right. What we want to do is we actually want to go ahead and get started, but if you are going to move to any of the other rooms or the groups, we're just asking if we can do it expeditiously, but also quietly. Amen? All right. Because time is limited, we're not going to do a lot of preliminaries. We're going to jump right into our final study. Remember, we started with the preparation. Then the next step was the purpose or the theme. And now the final step, the method. The method. That is what we're going to be touching on at this time. The method of studying the Bible. So without any further ado, let us go ahead and let's bow for a word of prayer. And then we're going to begin. Loving Father, we are grateful once again. We thank you, Lord, for this absolutely incredible time that we have spent together studying your word. Father, we've learned so much. And Lord, I just pray that you'll help our minds to retain the principles that govern all the practical steps on how to properly study your word so that we can be faithful servants of thee. And Lord, I just pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit at this time. For Father, first we need to see our own sins and truly confess and forsake them and overcome them by your grace. And we ask you, Lord, to please forgive us. But we also pray that your spirit will reveal Christ, our righteousness to us, so that we may have the power to live holy lives in a sinful world. And Lord, finally help us that we might live through this final minutes of the hour of judgment so that we can truly be a people prepared to meet our God. Speak to our hearts in a very marked manner, we pray. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When we talk about the method, the method we're talking about means we know that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. We saw that in John, the 14th chapter in the 26th verse. The Bible makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. Now what we're seeking to do is to seek, Lord, how do you teach? What's your method? And therefore, I'm going to immediately take us to Isaiah 28. There's really a background to Isaiah 28. It's a beautiful background. Because it talks about the priest and the prophet. These were the individuals whom God would use. The priest and the prophet were individuals whom God would work through to give his messages to his people. But in Isaiah 28, the Bible says that the priest and the prophet both became drunk with wine. And as a result of that, they were no longer equipped to teach the people. And therefore, in Isaiah 28 and verse 9, it says, Well, then whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then the answer was those who are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast and so on. And then it goes on to say that precept must be upon precept. If you're in Isaiah, the 28th chapter, I'm going to ask you to please say amen. amen. All right. Now, in Isaiah 28, you'll find that right here in verse 10, it says what? For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Now, when the Bible explains this, ultimately, bottom lining it, yes, we compare Scripture with Scripture. We compare Scripture with Scripture. Scripture is the key that unlocks Scripture. So therefore, bottom line, we're comparing Scripture with Scripture, but you're going to find that in these verses, there's something very specific that God wants us to understand when we do the comparison of Scripture with Scripture. We're talking about the method. God's method is, I do precept upon precept. I do line upon line. I do here a little, and I do there a little. Now, 
precept. What is a precept? Because the Bible says a precept must be upon a precept. That's a method. That's part of this method that the Spirit of God uses to help us understand the Word of God. What is a precept? Here's what you normally would do. If you had a Strong's Concordance, you would simply go to the word precept. Now, I have a Strong's Concordance book, but I also have it in electronic form. You heard Pastor Myers talk about e-sword, and there are several other ones that you can use. Long story short of it is, you can either go on your computer and look up the word precept. Now, I'm going to tell you why I like using the computer. When I go on my computer and I type in precept, I get to find out two things. Number one, what's the Hebrew word? Number two, I can also, on a computer, it's a little easier than with a book. On the computer, I can also find out where else in the Bible can I find that same Hebrew word. I can do a search. Now, if I did it like that, guess where my Bible is going to take me? Hosea chapter 5 and verse 11. Go to the book of Hosea chapter 5 and verse 11. This same exact Hebrew word for precept is also used in Hosea 5, 11, and this will help me to better understand the word precept. Now, notice what the Bible says in Hosea chapter 5 and verse 11. Once you get there, please say amen. amen. Now, watch this. It says in Hosea 5, 11, why don't we read it together? It says, Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked after the commandment. The word precept in the Hebrew is also translated other places in the Bible as the word commandment. So therefore, it says precept is a commandment. So therefore, a method that God uses is anytime you find a command from God in the Bible, God wants you to compare what? Commandment with commandment. True story. When I started studying the Bible, brothers and sisters, and I came into the Advent movement, remember, I told you from my testimony, I was a high school dropout. Didn't like reading. When I found the Adventist truth, when I found this Advent message, brothers and sisters, I got to tell you the truth. It literally, the Seventh-day Adventist church got me interested in reading again. When the man, when the preacher started to preach all these truths, I said, I have never heard this before. So immediately when I got baptized, there were four books that were put in my hand from the day I got baptized. You want to know what those four books were? Actually, five books. Five books. You want to know what, the, you want to know what these five books were? No. The first book that was given to me was a book called Creeping Compromise. The second book that was given to me was called Enemy at the Gate. The third book that was given to me was called Reaping the Whirlwind. The fourth book that was given to me was called Answers to Difficult Bible Texts. And the fifth book that was given to me was called Bible Readings for the Home, 300 Topics in Question and Answer Form. Brothers and sisters, when I started to read these books, I would have 15, 20-minute walks between the bus stop and my house. And sometimes I started reading these books so much 
And I started studying the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation that literally I would get off of the bus and on my 15 minute walk, I would say, okay, 490 year prophecy. Where do you find it? Daniel chapter nine, verses 24 through 27. How do you know? Well, the Bible says 70 weeks. Oh, how do you know 70 weeks equals this? Well, the Bible says in Ezekiel four, and literally I'm rehearsing this stuff in my mind. I was excited. I mean, literally I was loving what I was learning. And as I was learning all these truths, I started sharing it like wildfire. Like I told you, I share it with my friend Damien, then I share it with this person, that person. We started hitting the streets of New York and we started blazing everything we could find. Well, one day, after about two years of doing this, I literally had Bible studies seven days a week. Seven days a week, just Bible studies, Bible studies, Bible studies. I never had a problem in my 19 years of being a seven-day Adventist finding people who know not God's truth and getting an opportunity to sit down with them and study. Never had a problem with it. And here it is, after two years of doing this just nonstop, I guess I started to experience, quote-unquote, spiritual burnout. One day, I literally just got up and I said, man, I just don't feel like studying the Bible today. I don't feel like reading anything. I don't feel like talking to anybody about the Bible. It just so happened on this same day that I said, I'm not, I'm not talking to anybody. I don't know what was wrong with me that day, but I just did not feel like talking about the Bible to anybody. Well, then all of a sudden, a friend of mine gave me a call. He says, hey, Dwayne, listen, I need your help. I said, what's going on? He says, a guy from the Church of Christ. You ever heard of the Church of Christ? Yes. He says, a guy from the Church of Christ, I'm studying with him, and I need him to come to our church, but he told me I should come to his church first. And I'm scared that he might get me to believe what he believes, so I want you to come with me so you could back me up. <laughs> and I was just like, I already made a decision today, brother. I'm not studying today. I don't feel like studying with anybody. I just need a day to relax. I need a day off. He said, come on, man, please, please. And he's begging me. So I said, all right, fine, I'm coming, but I'm not bringing my Bible. So I'm not going to bring my Bible. So therefore, I said, I'll come. I'll just be there as an image to just, you know, I guess look intimidating. <laughs> but nevertheless, I'm not doing anything. So I go into the, we go into the classroom. There's all these people there, and I'm sitting in the class. And as I'm sitting in the class, I'm listening to the man teach, and he's teaching all sorts of things that were incorrect. And I was like, that's wrong, that's wrong. But you know, I said, ah, I'm not getting into a Bible study today, so I'm keeping quiet. <laughs> but I knew in my mind, I said, that's wrong, that's wrong. Well, eventually the study's over. I said, all right, good, now I can go. I said, you, you good? He says, I'm fine, you can go. I said, all right, goodbye. As I'm getting ready to leave, a gentleman comes to me. He says, hey, brother. I said, hello. He says, uh, we're very happy to see you here. Um, you know, Church of Christ, they're, they're very reaping. I mean, they really like to witness and bring people in. He says, well, you know, we're really glad to see you here, and you don't look familiar. Um, what's your name? Now, in my mind, I'm saying, okay, he's going to ask me what's my name, but eventually he's going to ask me what church I go to, and then if I tell him the church I go to, it's going to turn into a Bible study because clearly we don't agree. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm already psychologically processing this thing. So I'm trying to be as very short as possible. What's your name? Dwayne. And then he's like, okay, um, what church do you go to? I said, okay, my church was called Elmont Temple of Seventh-day Adventists. I told him, Elmont Temple. That's it. He says, Elmont Temple, Elmont Temple. What denomination is that? <laughs> I mean, he obviously just, he, he had his stuff together. He knew he's going to pull it out of me. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, here we go. I said, Seventh-day Adventist, and true story, no exaggeration. He goes, oh, oh, 
you people are wrong. And when he said that, everybody in the classroom went from doing their business and went and looked at us. And now it was like high school, elementary school, where everybody's crowding around you for a fight. And all of a sudden, all these guys are crowding around us. And he says, you guys are wrong. And I said, Lord, I didn't want to get into a study today. And I did not bring my Bible. You promised me you'll bring to remembrance that which I've studied. I need you to do it for me. And I whispered that prayer real quick. And I said, all right. I said, you say we're wrong. Talk to me. Tell me why we're wrong. He says, you're wrong. It was showdown. He said, you're wrong because Jesus gave a new commandment. I said, really? He said, that's right. Jesus gave a new commandment. I said, well, what's this new commandment? He said, it's found in Matthew 22. Let's go to Matthew 22. Let's do some investigation. Here we go. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. All right, here we go. In Matthew, the 22nd chapter, here's where we find the so-called new commandments. It says in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, we're going to go ahead and take a look at verse 36. In Matthew 22 and verse 36, here were these new commandments that the gentleman said that Jesus is now teaching. It says in Matthew 22 and verse 36, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And when he showed me that, he said, You see, Jesus gave us these two new commandments, so therefore we don't have to keep the other ten. I said... Let me make sure. Now, I learned this. I always repeat back to a person when I'm studying with them what they said so I can make sure I'm clear and make sure that they understand that I heard what you said. So I said, let me make sure I understand what you're saying. I said, are you telling me that because of what we just read in Matthew 22, that these are new commandments, which means that these commandments never existed? Is that what you're telling me? He said, yes. Now, I'm a very, I've learned the mercy of God as he's been so merciful to me in my life. So I I wanted to show him mercy. So I said, are you sure? I was trying to be merciful, trying to give him a chance because he was a pretty bold guy. I said, are you sure? He said, I'm positive. I said, okay. I said, so therefore, if these are new commandments, that means that they did not exist in the Old Testament when God's people were still keeping the Ten Commandments, including the Sabbath. Is that right? He said, that's correct. I said, are you sure? (laughs) I mean, I'm trying to get this brother to think. But he said, I'm positive. And now God gave me some boldness. I said, all right. I said, now I have a challenge for you. He said, what? I said, if I can show you that these two new commandments were existing in the Old Testament when God's people were keeping the Ten Commandments, including the Sabbath, will you come to church with me next Sabbath? And I mean, you could hear a pin drop. All the people are just like. And he said, 
yes. And I said, got him. I said, all right. I said, which one was the first one? He said, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. I said, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. Let's go to Deuteronomy 6, 5. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, let's see what the Bible says. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, and when you get there, I'd love to hear you say amen. amen. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5, it says, and thou shalt what? Love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. I noticed everybody kept their heads down in their Bibles. So I'm just waiting because I know what he's going to say next. He's going to say, where's love your neighbor as yourself? Guess what he did? He lifted up his head. He said, where's love your neighbor as yourself? I said, Leviticus 19, verse 18. Let's go to Leviticus 19 and verse 18. Let's see what Leviticus 19 and verse 18 says. And in Leviticus 19 and verse 18, we find some very familiar words that Jesus echoed in Matthew 22. The Bible says in Leviticus 19 and verse 18, it says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I walked up in front of him gently and I said, what time should I pick you up for church next Saturday? <laughs> and you know what? He came to church next Sabbath. And the Sabbath after that, 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 and the Sabbath after that. That was a genuine man. He was genuinely wrong. You know why? He did not compare command with command. God teaches us that one of his methods of how we ascertain truth is that we have to compare command with command. We can't go to one verse and say, God commands us to dress this way. God commands us to eat this way. God commands us to do things this way. God commands us. You got to compare command with command so that you can get a clear picture of what God is saying. Are you following? Yeah. All right, let's go to the next one. The next one was line upon line, right? Line upon line. What is a line? Same thing. You open up your concordance or you type on your computer, line. You're going to go ahead and you're going to see several places in the Bible. But one thing you're going to find is in Isaiah, the 44th chapter, you'll see something here. This word line. It's called out another way in Isaiah 44. And we're going to look at verse 13. Isaiah 44 and verse 13. Let's take a look here. When you get there, please say Amen. Isaiah 44 and verse 13. Let's see what the Bible says. Now, I like this, you know, because these are beautiful methods that God gives us. Sometimes you're going to find the same exact word like line, line. But then when you look in the Hebrew for the word, the word might be line in one text, but it might come out different in another, just like what we did with precept. In one place it says precept, the English word, but the Hebrew word was the same for the word commandment. So it is now with line. You'll see this. Watch Isaiah 44 and 13. Are we there? Now look at this. In Isaiah 44, 13, it says the carpenter stretches out his rule. And that's really short for ruler. Okay? And then it goes on to say, he marketh it out with a line, he fitteth it with planes, and he marketh it out with the compass, and maketh it after the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. 
So therefore, he's using a term like a carpenter. Now what a carpenter uses is a measuring tool. He uses a measuring tool to make sure things are balanced and accurate. That's the purpose of using the measuring tool. It keeps things balanced and accurate. So that is another method that the Holy Spirit uses when he teaches us how to study, is that whatever we embrace as truth, it must be balanced and accurate. And what it does is it protects us from the greatest danger for Seventh-day Adventists. You want to know what the greatest danger for Seventh-day Adventists is? Fanaticism. We are in the greatest danger of falling into extremes. We have more than enough reforms in our movement. Remember, we are the last effort of the Reformation movement. We saw that yesterday in the Blueprint study. We're the last Reformation movement. Now, understanding that, this is why we need to understand something. Let me give you an example of this. Go to Psalms 95. Balanced and accurate. Psalms, the 95th division. I want to show you something. In Psalms 95, notice what the Bible says here. Balanced and accurate. Now, watch what David says here. Psalms 95 and verse 6. Look at what the Bible says. This is beautiful. Oh, come, let us do what? Worship and bow down. And what does the next statement say? Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So what are we called to do as it relates to body posture when we're coming together to God for worship? To kneel. This is very consistent. Ellen White tells us that in public and private worship, it is our privilege and duty to kneel before our God. And that's why you'll find that several times when we would pray, we would kneel. It is in public and private worship. Now, did you notice the key word is worship? Now, let's go to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. And the reason why this becomes very interesting is because let's say you might meet someone who says, well, David told us we, we should kneel. So every single prayer that we say, we're going to go ahead and kneel. Now, brothers and sisters, do you know I have a friend? I know somebody. One day, he, you know, he believed very much in kneeling before God before he prayed, regardless of where he was or whatever he was doing. And, you know, one day he was in the grocery store. And as he was in the grocery store, you know, he loves to share Jesus with people. So he met a sister there in the grocery store. And as he met the sister in the grocery store, he started to minister to her, started to share God's truth, God's love, God's word. And as he started to do that with the young lady, all of a sudden, the young lady started to, her heart was touched. And as she was touched, the minister, you know, the gentleman said, well, would you like to pray? And she was saying, well, right here in, 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 in this area, you know, in this, you know, supermarket. And he said, yeah, let's pray. And she was like, well, I guess maybe so. And as she just kind of got close to him, ready to just kind of. You know, make it look like maybe she's looking at some cans or something, but she's ducking her head and, and closing her eyes. Then all of a sudden, he says, come, come. And he starts getting on his knees in the supermarket. She looks at what he's doing. She says, what are you doing? He says, the, the Lord tells us we should kneel when we pray. And then all of a sudden she said, oh, I'm not doing this. And boom, she was gone. He did that innocently because he thought that the Bible clearly tells that whenever you pray, you got to kneel. But now let's look at something. Nehemiah chapter 2. Now, Nehemiah chapter 2, let's notice something the Bible says. And if you're there, please say amen. amen. 
In Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 to 4. The Bible says, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. And said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? Now, brothers and sisters, you can imagine. Here goes Nehemiah standing before the king. And Nehemiah and the king are dialoguing, they're building. And then all of a sudden the king starts talking to him and he says, listen, you don't look right. Something's wrong with you. What's going on in your heart? And then, you know, Nehemiah's getting a little nervous now. Uh-oh, I'm about to address the issues that's taking place. And, you know, he's a little fearful. But nevertheless, he tells the king, why shouldn't I be sad? My people are suffering. The king says, well, what would you like for me to do? Now, look at what the very next sentence says in verse 4. It says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. And then verse 5 says, and I said unto the king. Now, Nehemiah, brothers and sisters, did not kneel at that time. He was having a conversation with the king. The king asked him a question. He immediately ascends a prayer unto God, and then he tells him, this is what I'm asking of you. Did God answer his prayer? God honored his prayer, didn't he? Do you remember the publican and the Pharisee? Did the publican kneel or did he bow his head? He bowed his head, the Bible said. So that there are certain places and situations where it's time to kneel, but then there's other places and times where you do not have to kneel. Can you imagine somebody getting ready to drive in their car and they're trying to push the seat back so they can get down on the ground? Can you imagine you're, you're on a ladder, you're painting some part of your house, and all of a sudden the wind comes, and you feel the wind, and you feel like you're about to blow, and you're like, uh-oh, and you're trying to kneel on the ladder? I mean, it becomes very impractical, very illogical. And this is what God warns us against. And that's why whenever we study the Bible, another method, God says it has to be line upon line. It has to be balanced. It has to be accurate. Now, the reason why that's so important is I want you to think about this. Let's say somebody came to you and said, you know what? Because you can apply this even to quotations from our pioneers and even the writings of Ellen White. Things have to be balanced and accurate. Let's say there's a movement out there somewhere where somebody came to you and said, did you know that since September... 11, 2001, the latter rain began to fall. Let's say somebody told you that. I had somebody tell me that. Somebody said that the, the, the sprinkling of the rain started to fall at 9-11. It began. That was, and, I, and, I, and you know me, I told you that's my method. I asked them, I said, are you sure? They said, yes, I'm sure that it began. I said, interesting. Now, this same person who sent me this is also a great advocate of the writings of our pioneers as well as the writings of Ellen White. I said, so if the latter rain began in sprinkling form at September 11, 2001, I said, why does it say in the book, The Consecrated Way to Christian Perfection by A.T. Jones, he says, we know by every evidence that now we are in the time of refreshing, the time of the latter rain. I think that statement is before September 11, 2001. <laughs> now, watch this. The latter rain empowers the people of God to give a loud cry. Is that right? 
And some may say, well, that was A.T. Jones. He was a pioneer. He could have been wrong. I don't think so. You know why? Because, brothers and sisters, the function of a prophet, according to Ephesians 4, is to protect the flock from being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. For a prophet to remain silent when error is being taught would mean that the prophet is being irresponsible. But correct me if I'm wrong, the latter rain empowers the people to give the loud cry. Is that right? So therefore, why is it that the prophet said in Review and Herald, November 22nd, 1892, the loud cry of the third angel has already begun in the revelation of the righteousness of Christ? Who do I believe? Do I believe the human beings who I have no confirmation that they are inspired of God that tells me that it began at 9-11? Or do I listen to those who were clearly inspired that tells us it began way before that? Line upon line. It has to be balanced and it needs to be accurate. Amen? Amen. Beautiful. Now, here a little, there a little. What's that all about? I got, I got a couple more in here I need to show you quick. Here a little and there a little. Now, go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Is the Holy Spirit our teacher? Amen. Amen. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Well, here it is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, here's something that the Bible says. Now, this is a a very powerful principle. Here a little and there a little. Now, as I look this up from a Hebrew Hebrew standpoint, I'll be honest with you, I couldn't find anything. I could not find anything. But one thing that is very obvious is here a little, there a little. Again, it's very clear comparing scripture with scripture, some here, some here, from the old, from the new, right? But is there a lesson that we can pull out of this principle of here a little, there a little? Let's see if we can. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I want us to look at verse 13, something about how the Holy Spirit teaches us, and this is something that we can definitely take home with us in our hearts. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing what? Spiritual things with spiritual spiritual with spiritual. Now, alongside of the principle of here a little, there a little, again, searching from the old, searching from the new, comparing text with text, definitely, absolutely, I believe that that is the primary application of here a little, there a little. Different places covering the same ground. But another principle that the Holy Spirit teaches us is he says that he compares spiritual things with spiritual, which means that he does not compare spiritual with carnal. The Holy Spirit does not teach. His method is not to take spiritual things and bring it down on a carnal level. And the reason why is go to the book of Romans, the eighth chapter. In Romans, the eighth chapter, let's see how this begins to you know, come out. And this is very important because have you ever heard somebody compare their understanding of spiritual things to their carnal ideas? Their carnal understanding, their worldly thoughts and worldly processes? And that is not the way that you ascertain or understand Bible truth. You do not take heavenly high principles and try to bring it down to yours and my level. We are to be risen up to its level. And notice what the Bible says in Romans the 8th chapter. In Romans 8 and verse 7, the Bible says, Because the what kind of mind? It says the carnal mind is at enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. 
We are not to compare spiritual with carnal. We are to compare spiritual with spiritual, which again, the Bible is spiritual. Amen? Amen. So therefore, we compare spiritual points with spiritual points. Are the writings of Ellen White inspired by the Holy Spirit? Amen. Amen. So therefore, you compare her writings here with her writings there. Spiritual with spiritual. But what you do not do, brothers and sisters, is take spiritual things and try to bring it down to our carnal levels. We don't want to take the words of God. There's many people who rejected God. I was literally in Seattle one time and somebody actually said, I do not accept the Bible because it does not explain pyramids. He said it doesn't explain how pyramids were built. And I was just like, what does that have to do with anything? And he was just saying, no, every book is supposed to explain everything. He was thinking on a worldly level. He was trying to take these high spiritual points and he was trying to bring it down to his level of interpretation and understanding and methodology of how truth is arrived at. Brothers and sisters, we can't do that. We have to allow God to meet us where we are to bring us up to where he is. Compare spiritual with spiritual. Don't bring God down to our carnal levels and reason. Why do you think Solomon the wise man says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In how many of our ways? All our ways. Acknowledge him and what will he do? He shall direct our paths. Now, another method that God teaches us on how to study his word is through something called typology. Typology. You want to write that down. Typology. Typology is very important. The reason why we know this, do you remember Brother Alvin Morrow? Do you remember the night where he was talking about Israel and the idol? Do you remember a few times he kept saying, where Israel? Where Israel? Do you remember he said that? You see, the question is, Brother Morrow, where did you get that from? That would have been my natural question. Go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, typology. And there's some very important principles we need to understand about typology. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm going to give you the history so that way I can be careful with my time. I'm watching my clock. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, from verses 1 to 10, it rehearses the story of the children of Israel. It rehearses all the mistakes they made and the punishments that they suffered as a result of the mistakes that they made. Now, in verse 11, something very key is stated. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, it says, now, how many of these things? All, all these things happen unto who? Them. Who's the them? Israelites. The children of Israel, the Israelites. All these things happen unto them for and samples, and they are written for whose admonition? Our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Now watch this. Paul is saying all these things happen unto them for ensamples. What does the word ensample mean? Ah, see, most of us would say example. Do you know that that's not exactly right? The word ensample, if any of you have a Bible with a cross reference in it, you should see the word right there in your cross-reference of what the word is for ensamples. Does anybody have it? Types. types. To Paul's, that's the Greek word, types. 
typology. In other words, all the things that happened to the children of Israel as they left Egypt on their way to Canaan land was a type of those whom upon the ends of the world are come will also go through. And that's why in Hebrews 8 and verse 5, notice what the Bible says. Let's turn there. Hebrews 8 and verse 5. The word type deals with a pattern, a pattern. And in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5, notice what the Bible says here. Remember when they built the tabernacle, in verse 5, they talk about the summarization of this tabernacle. And it says in verse 5, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. So types deal with patterns. That's why Jesus was able to say, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. This is why when you begin to study the children of Israel, their journey from Egypt to Canaan land, it's not past truth, it's present truth. Because you're understanding it in the light of, we're going to repeat many of the same pattern of events that they did. Did the children of Israel eventually lose sight of the one who represented Christ when he ascended in the mount? Yes, he did. So will there be people in the last days in the Seventh-day Adventist church who will lose sight of the fact that Christ is in the most holy place? Yes. Were the children of Israel getting caught up in dancing and reveling and all sorts of wild style worship? Yes. So therefore, will God's people in the last days, will we begin to see situations, churches sometimes, where things are taking place, where people are going to be dancing, getting into celebration worship and wild style worship? Amen. Yes. Did the children of Israel get to a point where at one time they said, we are tired of this manna and I want the flesh pots of Egypt? Huh? So therefore, should it surprise us if in the last days we see in God's church people who say, I'm tired of this health message. I want to go back to my Mickey D's. It shouldn't surprise us. All these things were types. Was there a Babylonian garment that was in the camp that literally caused God to not even work amongst the people? Yes. Do we have an issue with garments today? Volume 4 of the Testimonies to the Church, page 647. Ellen White says... Obedience to fashion is pervading our Seventh-day Adventist churches and is doing more than any other power to separate our people from God. End quote. Volume 4, the Testimony to the Church, page 647. Brothers and sisters, typology... Now, in understanding typology, here's the danger. When you go through typology, here's the one thing you want to watch out for. Brothers and sisters, when you do typology, does a type have to have an exact anti-type? No, it does not. You want to know why? Leviticus 16, the high priest. When the high priest finished his work 
in the sanctuary, did he have to make an atonement for himself? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He had to make an atonement for himself. Why did the high priest have to make an atonement for himself? Because he must have committed what? Sin. Who's our high priest? Jesus. Did he commit sin? Is there a need for him to make an atonement for himself? So therefore, we have to understand that when you study typology, you are not to make it that a type must have an exact anti-type. Because if you do that, you're going to find yourself consistently falling into pit holes that you're not going to know how to come out of it. And I've literally heard doctrines where people actually believe that when Christ finishes his work in the most holy place, he's actually going to come out and do another atoning work. Do you know that, that, that that's a teaching that's going around Adventism? Because what they believe is a type must have an exact anti-type. So when you look at typology, remember, typology is a pattern of events. But it does not mean that it has to copy every single detail. What was the purpose of the high priest cleansing or making an atonement for himself? What was the overall purpose? to make sure that all sin has been put away with, including himself and the people. That was the whole purpose of the high priest doing that work. The whole purpose of Christ when he finishes his work is to make sure that all sin has been done away with. That's the purpose. So the overall theme of the sanctuary work in the most holy place is still accomplished even though it's not done in the exact same detail. Are you following? All right. And then the final one. Whenever you study the Bible, brother, now, boy, I tell you, you know, my heart really goes. One thing that's very hard is to look at a four or five day meeting like this and to truly train. I mean, you, your mind got to be in a very special place to really be able to take in everything. Because my question always is, what if I, I always talk to my wife, honey, what if what if we took any of the people in the congregation, put them aside and said, all right, put everything you just learned to work. I'm going to test you. There's a good chance that many of us would fail the test. It's a good chance. Because it's hard to take it all in in just such a short period of time. This is why this is more of a stimulation meeting where some people are going to make some decisions to say, I want to go deeper. And then those who want to go deeper are going to be elected. And then they're going to become the gospel workers that's going to go forward in the elite group. You following? Now, when you talk about studying the Bible, I beg of you, please do this. I made this mistake thousands of times. When you study a scripture, deal with it in its primary application first. Deal with it in its local, literal application first. In other words, I can take a scripture and, man, I can put some stuff on that thing that just blows it up and makes it and and it, it, it just becomes so powerful. But I might have in doing that, though I might mesmerize you and excite you and and really teach you something that can be truthful. I still might actually neglect its first application. And therefore, you don't get full meaning of the text. An example of that would be Malachi 4, 5, and 6. In Malachi 4, 5, and 6, you remember where the Bible talks about, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Before that great and dreadful day of the Lord, he'll cause the fathers, the sons, the sons of the fathers. Remember that? What's the first application? John the Baptist. Luke uh, Luke chapter 1, the Bible tells us that it represents John the Baptist. Because he had to prepare the people for the... First coming of Christ. But will there be a people in the last days that will do the same work of drawing the hearts of the fathers to the son, the son to the fathers, and to prepare people for the second coming? So therefore, is there a secondary application? 
Yes. So in that secondary application, now that represents who? Us. When you teach like that, deal with the first application, make that plain, then you can go to the second application where you can magnify it. Finally, you can also pull out lessons. I love lessons. I'll give you an example. Wheat and tares. We know that there can be a primary application. The primary application was that it was talking about them Pharisees and Sadducees. Those were the weeds. Remember Brother Myers talked about the weeds? That, the first application of Pharisees and Sadducees, they were the ones trying to choke the life out of Christ. But then we also know that it's going to refer to because it talked about this will go on until the time of the harvest. So therefore, it's going to also affect the church when? In the last days. So first application, the days of Christ, Pharisees, Sadducees. Next application, God's people in the last days. Lesson. I learned something about weeds. Lesson. Remember, first application, second application, lesson. Here's a lesson. Weeds, and if there's any gardeners in the room, I know you can confirm this. I confirmed it with enough. Do you know the purpose of a weed? The purpose of a weed is to indicate to the farmer that your soil is deficient in something. Lesson. Remember, first application, second application, lesson. What's a lesson for us? One of the reasons why God allows weeds to stay in the church is because these meetings right here are called wheat meetings. This is wheat meetings. We're all wheat. At least that, that, that's the way it feels. Not that we call ourselves that, but in other words, we're like-minded. There's nobody here that's probably going to say, there's no sanctuary. There's not anybody here who's going to say, the spirit of prophecy? Oh, no, I don't believe in that. Everybody here, for the most part, believes the same things, so therefore this is like a wheat meeting. But then sometimes when you go back to your church and when you descend from this mountain, you're going to run perhaps into some tear-like people. People are going to say, there is no sanctuary. There is no spirit of prophecy. No, we cannot have victory over sin. And when you deal with individuals who have those weed-like qualities, your response to them determines the condition of your soil. Do you get it? This is why volume five of the testimony to the church, page 707, the prophet of God tells us, God will move his church. If any other means fails, heresies will come in. Volume 5 of the Testimony to the Church, page 707. God himself said, heresies will come in. God knew that apostasy was going to come. But some of the reasons why God allows us to encounter the apostasy is so that we can truly see the condition of our own hearts. Have you ever dealt with somebody who doesn't believe what you believe? How do you act? How do you behave? What's your prayer list like? Are they even on your prayer list? Or do you waste your time calling everybody, warning them about the apostates? Stay away, stay away, stay away. But you don't even pray for them. Weeds can show you the condition of your own heart. And I believe that's one of the reasons why God said let the wheat and tares grow together. There's a lesson we can learn. I praise God for the tares. Because when I encounter someone who is tear-like, it helps me really see the condition of my own heart. Lord, I'm still a condemning person. Lord, I still have no compassion. You're telling me I need to pray for my enemies. And here it is. I can't even pray for someone who disagrees with me on a specific doctrine of the church. 
So again, first application, second application, lesson. These are several principles that you can use, and these are all methods ultimately to get us to the point that, like it says in Isaiah 28, that in the end of it all, we can receive rest and refreshing. And brothers and sisters, that's what God wants to give to all of us, rest and refreshing. And this is why when we study the Bible, understand the preparation. After you understand the preparation work, God says, make sure you get a good ground on the purpose of the Bible, the theme. And after you understand that purpose and that theme, God says, now make sure you learn my method. And as we put these things into practice, by the grace of God, we can be effective teachers and preachers of the word of God. Amen? Is that your desire to say, Lord, I want to be an effective preacher and teacher of the word of God? Amen. Then, brothers and sisters, let us put these things into practice. I am giving you a challenge. When you descend from this mountain in your memories hall, I'm asking that you please think of someone who does not know the things you have learned while you've been here. And do not let seven days pass without calling them and sharing with them what you've learned. It'll do something wonderful for you. Amen? Amen. With that, let us close with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for showing us these beautiful methods, these methods that were designed to protect us from falling into extremes, fanaticisms, deception. Lord, we pray that you'll just continue to abide with us as we seek to put these things into practice so we can effectively teach your word to others. Lord, I know we've learned a lot, but I pray help us not to let these notebooks that we've taken so much notes to begin to collect dust once we get back home. Help us, Lord, to review these things, to go over them several times. And I pray that you will fortify our minds with your word so that we will be able to effectively do your work. We thank you so much for these blessed privileges. Help us to be thou faithful unto death, for it is then and only then that we shall receive our crown of life. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. This message is produced by PTH Ministries. Our mission is to spread the three angels' messages through preaching and teaching the Seventh-day Adventist message and to integrate healing through medical missionary work in declaring the gospel. For more information on our ministry and the resources we provide, please log on to our website at www.pthministries.com. That's www.pthministries.com, or you can call us at 770-274-9537. That's 770-274-9537. May we do our part to meet the needs of humanity through the everlasting gospel and hasten Christ's return. Maranatha.